Merry Christmas and welcome to Christmas Eve, whether you're watching online or in person at one of our sites or maybe even after Christmas. We're so glad that you're joining us for our Christmas Eve celebrations and experience. Now, we as a church family for the last little while have been walking through this conversation about light and darkness. And we've also just been admitting it's been a pretty long haul. It's been over 650 days since everything really started locking down. Fear, uncertainty, division, lockdowns. Man, have we had a lot of questions. But that's actually why this Christmas pause is so incredibly relevant and actually is such a gift. See, the very first Christmas story has always been a contrast of light and darkness. Actually, most of the stories that make up the grand story of Christmas, which we really focus on on Christmas Eve, are overladen with, they're heavy with, it's almost like they're choking with darkness. And yet, in the middle of that, all that thick darkness, there are small moments of light if you're looking, and there, there's also overwhelming moments of light that break the darkness just for a moment. Then the darkness comes back, but the effect of the light ripples even to today. And that's why light has always been at the center of the Christmas story. Now, I've shared this years before. Let me do it again. Martin Luther, this is what legend says, the founder of the Protestant Reformation and the Lutheran Church in Germany in the 16th century, he was the very first person to put candles on a Christmas tree. Luther was walking home one night during winter and he saw the stars sort of twinkling through the branches. And he was so inspired by the sight that he arrived home and put up a tree and decorated it with candles. That, that's where this whole tradition of light on Christmas Eve on trees began. Christmas lights as we know them today didn't come for generations later. Three years after Thomas Edison invented the electric light bulb in 1879, a guy named Edward Johnson who worked for Edison's company actually had Christmas tree light bulbs especially made just for him. And he proudly displayed his electric Christmas tree lights on his home and on his tree on Fifth Avenue in New York City. Well, literally New York City showed up to look at his house. Now, it was years, it was till 1903 that you could even sort of buy these en masse. It was the Ever Ready company that did it. But here's the crazy thing. I did the research. Back then, of course, if one light bulb went out, the whole string went out, so certain things have not changed. But in 1903, to get one string of lights and have them installed on your tree, it would have cost you, in today's money, $2,000. But here's the point. <laughs> Even at this moment, as I'm speaking to you here in Canada, Canada is going through this very significant de-Christian, pre-Christian, uh, post-Christian moment. And yet in the middle of that, everywhere you drive right now in this season, in windows and in tre on trees and on homes and on hotels, online, everywhere you look, there are lights everywhere. Light is foundational to the Christmas idea of God coming for us. And light cannot be stopped, and light breaks into the darkness. Now, some of you might know this, some of you might not. There are four songs that are sung in the biblical Christmas stories. These are like the original Christmas carols. The very first one, the very first Christmas carol ever sung in history was by Jesus' mom, Mary, which we now call the Magnificat, which means an outburst of praise. And then John the Baptist's dad sings a song and the angels chant or sing a song about the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. But it's the last of the original Christmas carols that matters the most to us on this Christmas Eve. It's sung by a guy you might not know very well. His name was Simeon. Now, Simeon sang a song 
And if you translate the Latin version, it says, now I can die in peace song. You're like, wow, that's sort of depressing. But that's what it means. It was used in older liturgical churches as an evening or closing hymn. And many people believe that this song he sung was used for funerals by the early Christians. But here's the beautiful thing. Light is at the center of this song, even though he's talking about the most dark of events, death. So let me set the scene. Eight days later, after angels, after shepherds, after no room in the inn, after uh, just an experience of having a baby, after the manger, so much more happens. Now, never forget that Mary and Joseph are faithful Orthodox Jews. They wanted to honor God, and they also obeyed the Jewish law. So it reads like this in Luke 2.21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus the name that the angel had given him before he was conceived. And when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been complete, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So the journey of Jesus' parents to the temple combines, just so you know, at least three ceremonies found and recorded in the Old Testament. One of them is you're always supposed to present your firstborn to God. But second of all, you're supposed to dedicate your firstborn son actually into the Lord's service. This is just sort of you're giving him over to the Lord. Now, all of this is taking place in the Jewish temple. Why does that matter? Well, this is the dwelling place of God. This is where God's personal presence is found. This is the meeting place between God and human beings. It's the site of divine revelation. And this site is going to legitimize why Jesus has come. It reads like this in Luke 2.25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was resting upon him. Now, apart from this, we know nothing other than this. So Simeon is a great man. He's a priest, worked in the temple, deeply faithful to God, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And some of you are like looking on Google going, consolation, what in the world does that mean? It means the personal intervention by God into time itself. God interfering in world affairs. It's the appearance of God in flesh that changed the course of history. It's actually to split time from B.C. to A.D., to comfort, to transform, to make the rough places plain and the crooked things straight, to break darkness with light. Now, there are thousands of priests. You probably don't know. The temple was massive. There were thousands of priests that worked in the temple week in and week out. But the Holy Spirit was working in this man specifically. And the Holy Spirit had told Simeon something. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit he would not die before he had seen God's Christ. Uh, Let me just do this. I don't mean this as a joke, just to be helpful. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ means Messiah, anointed one, promised deliverer. It's the fulfillment of the Jewish faith from Genesis to Malachi, from the laws to the rituals to the sacrifices to the temple. All of them were foreshadowing the one who was going to come. So it's another day at work. And an old man who's a priest, he's been a priest his whole life, is at work. And then it happens. Moved by the Holy Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Okay, so God the Father moved Simeon by his spirit to come into the temple courts just at the right time, just at the right time when Mary and Joseph and Jesus show up among thousands of worshipers. Now, that little phrase, (laughs) the temple courts, really matters. Let me work this out for you, especially if you're seeking or a skeptic or you don't do church very often. In the Jewish court, in the Jewish temple, there were different courts. 
The one that was farthest away was the court of the non-Jews. So non-Jewish people who wanted to encounter the true living God could, but they were far away. Then the next closest court was for women, Jewish women. Then the next closest court was for men. So they got closer to God. And then the next area was just for priests. And then only one priest on one day a year, what we call the Day of Atonement, the high priest could walk into the Holy of Holies and face God himself and deal with sin. So non-Jews right here, then women, and then you've got men, and then you've got priests, and then one priest. See how far this is away? Now here's the wild thing. Simeon was led by God to either meet them in the women's court or in the court of non-Jews. And here's the amazing thing. This is the point. Jesus' first time in the temple is between women and all nations. Why? Because he's coming to bring everyone right to have direct access. So Simeon literally takes the baby from them. I'm sure a little freaked out for a moment. He praises God and says, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He says, I can die now because everything you've told me is true. This little eight-day-old boy was and is salvation. He's the one that all nations would desire. He's the one that would have the ability and the power to make crooked things straight. He is salvation. Jesus, by the way, is a Greek version of a Jewish name, Joshua. And Joshua means God saves or God is salvation. So of course this is going to be his name because through Jesus, God the Father will offer salvation to the world. This eight-day-old little boy will be God's salvation. Well, Simeon keeps going. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. Here it is, a light of revelation to the non-Jews and, and for glory to your people Israel. So for Jews and non-Jews, everyone gets encountered by light. Salvation though will only come through one name, one door, one gate. Jesus has come to save and redeem. Women and men and boys and girls from every background can come home if they want to, but you have to choose to come and meet the one who can save you. There are not many paths. There's not many names. There's only one path and one name. Why? Because Jesus literally is the light for non-Jews and he's the glory for Jews. In other words, here's the beautiful thing. The most devout Jew who was thought they were so close to God and the farthest person far away from God as a non-Jew, both need God's light. It's Simeon's last words, though, that help us understand the cost and the implication of the Christmas story. It says in verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled. They were sort of shocked at what Simeon had said about Jesus. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary directly, his mother, this child is destined to cause the rising and the falling of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Oh yes, Jesus will give forgiveness and eternal life and he'll overcome sin and he'll actually come back from the dead. He'll literally conquer death and he'll break the back of the devil and he has the power to change the human heart. But don't miss this. Many people will not want him or want his light or his gift. Years later, that he would actually himself say, the gift of Christmas is more difficult. See, to get life, you actually have to lose your life. To have Jesus means you have to actually put good and lovely and pious things on the back seat. Here's how Jesus said it in Matthew 10, 37. Anyone who loves his mom or dad more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He's not saying moms and dads or brothers or sisters are bad. He's basically saying even good things have to take a back seat to the one who actually is most important, who can save you.
On this Christmas Eve, I want to remind you, long-term Christians, you who have just become Christians, you who have literally just got baptized in the last few weeks, you who are skeptics and seeking, you from other faiths, and you who are sort of in this middle ground where you're trying to stay in the Christian faith and you're hurting and you're not sure, and let me just say this to all of you. To see Jesus is to see light and to see reality. I love how John said it like this in John 1.4, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all of humanity. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It cannot overcome it. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming in the world, and he was in the world. And, and though the world was made through Jesus, the world did not recognize him. To look on Jesus is actually to see light in reality. But not only that, to look on Jesus is actually to find and see salvation. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes on Jesus will not die, but will be given eternal, everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Jesus. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. Whoever does not believe in Jesus stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. To see Jesus is to see light. To see Jesus is to see salvation. It's interesting in verse 19, John says it like this. This is the verdict. Light is coming to the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. God came for us when we could not get to him. Not religion, not good works, not being nice, not being self-confident. He's the savior that sets us free. Probably every third year, I love quoting this again. There's an older pastor named Max Lucado who writes all sorts of books. But I love when he wrote this little piece about light and Christmas. Untethered by time, he sees us all. From the backwoods of Virginia to the business district of London, from Vikings to astronauts, from cave dwellers to kings, from hut builders to finger pointers to rock stars, he sees us all. Vagabonds and ragamuffins all. He saw us before we were born and he loves what he sees. Flooded by emotion, overcome by pride, the star maker turns to us one by one and says, you are my child. Oh, I love you so dearly. And I'm aware someday you're going to turn away from me and walk away. But I want you to know I've already provided you a way back. And to prove it, he did something extraordinary. Stepping from his throne, he removed his robe of light and wrapped himself in skin. Pigmented human skin. The light of the universe entered a dark, wet womb. Have you thought about that? He who angels worship nestled himself in the placenta of a peasant was birthed in the cold night and slept on cow's hay. Mary did not know whether to give him milk or give him praise, but she gave him both. Since he was, as near as she could figure, hungry and holy. Joseph didn't know whether to call him junior or father, but in the end called him Jesus since that's what the angel had told him to and since he didn't have the faintest idea of what to name a God that he could cradle in his arms. Neither Mary nor Joseph said it as bluntly as my Sarah. This is Max Lucado writing this. But don't you think their heads tilted and their minds wondered, what in the world are you doing, God? Or better phrase, God, what are you doing in our world? Can anything stop me from loving you? God responds. Watch me speak your language. Watch me sleep on your earth. Watch me feel your hurts. Behold the maker of sight and sound as he sneezes and he coughs and he blows his nose. You wonder if I understand how you feel? Look into the dancing eyes of a kid in Nazareth. That's God walking to school. 
ponder the toddler at Mary's table. That's God who just spilled the milk. See, this Christmas Eve, as we gather during a very difficult dark year, 650 days of all of this and continuing, I just want to say, for you who are Christians and followers of Jesus like I am, remember God has walked into a darkness and he's overcome it. And for you who have never embraced Jesus, I just want to say to you, he is not just a leader or he's not just a great thinker. He's not just a revolutionary sort of leader in history. He is God in flesh. He is, as Simeon said, glory and light and salvation. Would you humble yourself this Christmas Eve and just say this, Jesus, I've never really met you or your father, but I admit I'm a sinner and I'm far from you. And I want the work of Jesus, his light, his glory, and his salvation to make me clean so I can know God perfectly. Thank you for getting so close that I can relate to you. But I repent of my sins. I trust in Jesus. I believe you lived, died, and rose again. And I want this Christmas Eve to be a turning point where darkness is overcome by light. No matter where you are or no matter what site you're at or where you're listening, I just want to say to you, Merry Christmas. The light of the world is here and the darkness has not overcome it.